0: I'm Derek Neighbors.
1: And I'm Ravenna Water,
0: And today we have a few things we want to talk about. The first thing we're going to talk about is executives and Agile. How do you handle executives in Agile? Is that even a question, like a valid question? <laughs> I mean, I, I think... It, I guess it pre- it presumes that there's something to handle, right? Yeah, I guess to me,
2: like, you know, when... Agile first started that there was no Agile to talk about, so executives were completely not aware of it. So, I mean, if you look at almost everything um, that exists that is Agile or has to do with Agile, it's largely focused around teams and really at the team level. So from my perspective, like, I don't even think you need, quote-unquote, executive buy-in to do Agile, right? You could do Agile just within yourself and you could get that to span to your team, Now, to get it outside of your team, you probably need some level of support every rung you go up. Uh, But I think you're probably in a losing proposition if you have to, quote-unquote, convince your executive that they should be agile because they're not going to have the mindset that it's going to take to do it. I think it's a different story if the executives are saying, we want to be more agile and we don't know how to get there. Can you help us? And then I think there's a role that, you know, you could play in helping guide them through that process. I
1: could I could kinda of see that in a, in a small organizational structure where if you have maybe like an executive only a few levels above the team, where teams start start performing up to the limit of their of what they are currently allowed to do or their the limit of their um self organizability. Right. <laughs> That's trademarked. <laughs> so if they're up against the limit of that, like I could totally see the team approaching the executive and being like, listen, like we really want to get better. And right now you're behaving in way X that is holding us back. We like, what can we do about that?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, but I think that's different than trying to sell Agile. So I think the problem that people have is they try to sell executives on Agile opposed to saying like, here are the things that aren't working. We're not trying to prescribe an answer Right, I think that's a be- much better sales technique than you know, like we need to do this agile thing. And right. I, I, think we can see it in the difference in our clients that come to us. There tends to be two funnels. There tends to be the funnel that says, uh, "I want to be agile and I want my whole company to be agile, and mm-hmm. all I care about is agility." Or like, what the hell does that mean? From a like, you know, you do you manufacture widgets, so like, why do you why do you care if your company is quote unquote so doing agile, right? And then I think there are the the people that come to us that say like we're not doing we're not the best company we can be and we know it's because we've got these problems in this baggage that is holding mm-hmm. us back and we think some of these agile principles and values and frameworks could help us get past those problems right and so I I think it's very rare that we hit the second one where they've been sold agile
1: right I think the first one is much more common where it's usually right. like the 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 some executive has read a book or talked to a CEO or executive at another company at a, over a, golf, a game of golf or something like that, or they have recently been acquired from a company that did quote unquote agile right yeah. capital A agile and and they don't really know what it means themselves, but they have been sold this tale of success that it means more better faster stronger
0: so speaking of tales of success, um, what do you guys think of the big rewrite?
2: Never, ever do it,
0: ever. Yeah,
1: I don't think I've ever seen a tale of big rewrite success. I've been part of
2: big it's rewrites. It's very alluring,
0: right? Like It seems like it would be a very good idea. You've got this big kludge with a bunch of technical debt that's causing all kinds of problems, so just get rid of it, right?
2: Yeah, so the thing that I'll say is in 20 years of doing this stuff with a ton of different companies, I've never seen a new rewrite replace the old thing. So what you end up doing is having to maintain two things indefinitely and then the second thing becomes the ugly thing so then you end up with the new rewrite which is the third thing right? you can never really phase these things out Um, I I think the two approaches that you can take to deal with the big rewrite, meaning that there's definitely technical debt that exists in products and there's definitely problems that need to be dealt with Um, but the two ways that I've seen people successfully deal with them one is that you take the product and you start to apply technical excellence to it, right? So you start to say, every time we touch the code, we're going to um, make it even better when we're inside of there. And then the other way is you say, uh, we're going to basically create a competing product that's going to try to kick this product's ass. And if that product can take the market share from our existing product, then, you know, it's gone. That's really hard to do if you're talking about a payroll system or well, right, you know, something some bigger
1: than the big rewrite, yeah.
0: right? That's like an entirely separate thing yes. you're talking but,
1: about. Well, yeah. I like that. Like I mean I, I believe I read a similar article from ThoughtWorks that says like never do the big rewrite or something like that that got published a few weeks yeah. ago. And they said something similar where they said like write a competing product and let it be market driven and don't try to replace your existing product. Rather build this or product, the product to fill all of the holes that your current product doesn't doesn't fill. and let the market drive the features of your new product. And then eventually it may or may not replace your old product.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the big problems with the big rewrite, right, is it's never feature complete to what the other product was. Right, and
1: the features of the other product, like, usually, like, 60% or, like, there's some large percentage of those features that are never used anyway. So why are you wasting a bunch of time rewriting those features?
0: Yeah, I thought, um, I heard it described by Llewellyn Falco, actually, I thought was a good way to describe it. Imagine if you had your family and you suddenly replace your husband or wife your spouse basically you replace them and you act you want your kids to act like nothing's different
1: sounds like it's the like, american way you know
0: hey kids we got a new wife and everything should be just fine like that's kind of the big rewrite you everyone thinks it's going to be that way you're going to get this newer better thing that solves all the problems and no one's going to notice but everyone does notice well, i want to talk about working on one thing or imposing a whip limit so there's a lot of maybe scrum teams that have that problem where they work on five things all at once, and they never get anything done. And Derek, you and I were talking today about like thinking of things. Uh, I think it was an article you'd read about like doing an hourglass board where there was this kind of um, visual limitation of, of whip basically, where you could only work on one thing. And you were talking about maybe splitting that up and making little smaller things so that you can only work on a few stories. Maybe you could explain that a bit more.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the things we see in teams all the time, or I see in teams all the time, it seems to be, is that, um, you know, you'll be multiple days into a sprint and there are no points burned down. And usually it's because the team is, hey, we've got five people on the team, we've got ten stories, so... uh, person A is working on one story, person B is working on another story, person C, right? So you, you've basically got all five people split across mm-hmm. all five stories, and they get towards, you know, you know, five, six days into a sprint or whatever, and none of the stories are done yet. They're all 80% complete, 90% complete, opposed to actually getting completion. And so I think one of the things that, you know, is interesting is I try to encourage teams, you know, like try to get points you know, knocked out as soon as possible, like really try to finish functionality, you know try to have swarming type of behavior as much as humanly possible, and usually there's all sorts of pushback and excuses and reasons. and, and so I, I think if you were going to be prescriptive on a team, you could probably do something where you enforce some kind of whip limit at a story level mm-hmm. instead of a task level. So you could say like, you know we're a team of five people, and there can be no more than three stories being worked on at any given time. So, like, when you physically pull those three stories down, you can't go get another story mm-hmm. until one of those stories is complete. That makes sense. I,
1: I've, worked, I've worked on a team where we try to do some forming, and at first there was a ton of resistance because we'd have two to three pairs working on the same story, and it felt like we'd be stepping on each other's toes a whole lot. But then with, with some extreme cases where we had extremely linear, like, tasks where, like, one had to be done before the other or extremely serial – We've noticed that instead of stepping on each other's toes a whole bunch, it instead causes us to talk a whole bunch because we kind of now have to. And the entire team is in constant communication, which helps the entire team stay focused and everybody is aware of everything that's going on. So it's.
2: Yeah, I I like to say that teams that really buck against swarming, especially like extreme swarming, Mm -hmm. usually it means their design sucks or their code is extremely monolithic. So if everything is all in one giant method, yeah, right. I I believe that it's very hard for us to all work in the same code, where if we've got a much more modular way of thinking, it becomes a lot easier to say, like, hey, I'll go add the verification stuff while you're adding the, you know, the this stuff and while you guys are doing the front-end stuff, mm-hmm. right? Now we can very easily split up. If all of that's lumped into one file like one method that's much more difficult and then even on the serial thing you're exactly right the problem is they just don't want to talk right so I mean if you're forced to basically say like hey we're going to build a railroad track coming from each direction and we're going to meet in the middle like right. you you need to be calibrating that like every step of the way or you're going to end up grossly off
0: right so in a situation where the team might get they get five stories almost done it seems like every time that happens everyone seems surprised at the end Um, And I've seen a a team recently who I feel like has been ignoring their information radiators. Um, And I noticed that because they had a build monitor that uh, after a power outage came back on and was just stuck on the screensaver. And it's been maybe two weeks now and no one has noticed, I don't (laughs) think. And so I was kind of wondering what it is about that where, you know, it, it was visual thing and it played noise and all that stuff. But it seems like it didn't take them very long to forget about it. And I've seen the same thing happen with boards and all the anything you would put up on a board. Um, you know what? Why do you think that is? Why do you think people have a short memory for that stuff? I
1: think there's in, in such instances there's sometimes a lack of demand for an information radiator. For example, ACI server is really important if you're releasing really often because you need to make your, sure your code is stable at any time. If you're not releasing for another nine months, who cares if your code is stable for the next month, right? I mean, there's all sorts of reasons you should care, but like that's the
0: mindset maybe they get into, right?
2: Yeah, I I think some of it is, you know, it's fucking hard to be accountable, right? And so I think information radiators um, help us hold ourselves accountable, right? Because they kind of air our dirty laundry for us. And so... I I think when nobody else talks about it, like, why would I talk about it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if my room is messy and I know I'm not allowed to go out to play until I clean my room, like, I'm probably not going to want my mother to come into my room if I know I want to go out to play. Like, I'm going to do everything possible to try to get out to play before she looks at my room, right? I think teams start to have the same behavior um, around information radiators in the sense of, like, hey, if one of them shut off or stopped updating and nobody said anything, like, I'm not going to jump up and say something because, like, that's just going to mean more pain for me at some point.
0: Yeah, I've heard people talk about how, um, like, a burndown chart, for instance, if it looks like maybe after the first few days of the iteration, the burndown chart is going, like, basically horizontal, uh, I've heard people describe that as being useless. Um, but I feel like that tells a very important story. So I could see that maybe there's some times where the team might see that stuff and say, well, you know, so we forgot to update it, and it doesn't even really show us anything. It's not burning down, so it's a waste of time. Right. And it seems like the waste of time stuff is the first trigger for let's not look at it. But I feel like that's always a cover for I don't right. want to air my when, dream. When the
1: information radiator is giving information that people feel like a waste of time, I feel like one of – or like show something wrong. Like it would normally be a smell like like in your case with the burn down chart that's level halfway through the sprint. Or, for example, a Kanban board that keeps getting stuck with a whip limit of three, and that seems to be like a bottleneck where things go wrong. like what I usually either see people try to start ignoring those things or instead to start making like rules around their information radiator to cover up that problem hmm. and what I really rarely see is people actually address the problem that that information radiator is trying to
2: indicate,
0: yeah, so that's like I guess what you're saying Derek is it's hard to it's hard to be good right.
2: Yeah, it was it, it was really funny the other day. So if, 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 one of the teams I'm working with has a uh, a retrospective goal to increase some of their test coverage. Um, and they're all very committed to it, and they really want that to happen. Um, but they've really been going kind of all out trying to do some work that's really challenging for them to do. And so they put up an information radiator to show their code coverage mm-hmm. on a couple of pieces of the code, and it's been flat. Well, I, I had updated it for them the first couple of days just to kind of show them how it went. Um, and I hadn't for the last two days, and so one of the guys that really cares about quality, really cares about what they're doing, He'd come up to me and said, "Like, hey, you know, nobody updated the chart." I said, "Oh, that's up for you up to update." And he says, "Oh, you know, like, well, it hasn't changed at all. Like, we probably shouldn't even have the chart." And I said, "Well, like, didn't you commit as a team to make improvement?" He says, "Yeah, but like, how are we going to do that?" I said, "Well, are you talking about it and stand up?" He's like, "No." I'm like, well, why do you why do you have the visibility? He's like, "Man." But if we do that, how are we, like, that means everybody's going to have to do more testing when they're doing features. (laughs) I'm like, but isn't that what you want? He's like, yeah, but that's hard. I'm like, hey, man, not everybody plays in the NBA. And he says, you're right. And I think that is the essence of it. I think people, it's really easy to say, like, I want more testing. I want to be a good developer. I want blah, blah, blah. And then when the rubber hits the road, it's like, oh, that's hard.
0: So do you think that's a case where maybe someone like the Scrum Master can kind of play Captain Obvious? In that situation, when the team, like when the team makes a goal to do something and even let's say they go as far as making an information radiator Mm -hmm. and then they don't do anything with it. And it's very obvious that they're not doing like they're obviously avoiding it. Um, Is that the role of the scrum master to say or somebody, the coach, whatever, to say, hey, you remember about this thing and kind of have that conversation?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I really struggle with can you hold people accountable or not? And part of me says, no, you can't because everything is going to be after the fact. But I think you can encourage accountability, and especially if you do it via culture. And so I think one of the things you could do, like if I'm a, a soccer coach and I see somebody not training hard, and I have the conversation, "Hey, Roy, you're really not training hard. If you want to start this weekend, you mm-hmm. are going to need to step up your training. And if that doesn't happen, then I don't start Roy, or he doesn't play. Um, yeah, it's after the fact, meaning I wasn't able to hold him accountable during the actual practice, but I've set something in motion that kind of says, like, "Hey." I know coach is watching and if next week I don't perform during practice, there is a consequence to it or there's an action. And so I think that you do need somebody out there saying like, hey, the burn, you know, hey, you, your, your goal, your retro goal was X and, you know, here's a chart and it's not moving. What's going on, right? Like, can I force you to increase the coverage? No, but right, like I, what I can do is say like, I'm, I'm instilling in you that somebody is watching this and we're having the conversation about it.
0: And with that, we have run out of time. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integrumtechcom slash podcast, where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.
1: Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.